Our Old Testament scripture passage tonight is Jeremiah 13, verse 20 through 23. You found it in your pew Bible on page 1,195. Before we read, will you... With me. Heavenly Father, bless the reading and preaching of your word, Lord. Bless the meditations of our hearts and minds. May we find here in the teaching of your scripture the truth of our nature concerning the fall. And may we, Lord, know that this means, most importantly, that our salvation is all of grace and that everything we have is a gift, and that you owe us nothing. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Starting our reading in Jeremiah 13, verse 20. Here now the reading of God's holy, inspired, and infallible word. Jeremiah the prophet said to the people of Israel, in warning of the coming judgment that was coming upon them, Lift up your eyes and see those who are coming from the north. Where is the flock that was entrusted to you, the sheep of which you boasted? What will you say when the Lord sets over you those you cultivated as your special allies? Will not pain grip you like that of a woman in labor? And if you ask yourself, why has this happened to me? It is because of your many sins that your skirts have been torn off and your body mistreated. Can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard its spots? Neither can you do good who are accustomed to doing evil. Turning now to Ephesians chapter 2, the first 10 verses. Pew Bible page 1818. Paul to the church in Ephesus. Said these words. As for you... You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we are dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this, not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. May he bless it to the hands, hearts, and minds of his people. We're also looking at Article 15 in the Belgic Confession. It can be found on the back of your green Psalter hymnals on page 76. It's titled, Original Sin. 
Article 15, the Belgian Confession of Faith, titled Original Sin, says, We believe that through the disobedience of Adam, original sin is extended to all mankind, which is the corruption of the whole nature and a hereditary disease, wherewith even infants in their mother's womb are infected, and which produces in man all sorts of sin, being in him as a root thereof, and therefore is so vile and abominable in the sight of God that it is sufficient to condemn all mankind. Nor is it altogether abolished or wholly eradicated even by baptism, since sin always issues forth from this woeful source as water from a fountain, notwithstanding it is not imputed to the children of God unto condemnation. But by His grace and mercy is forgiven them, not that they should rest securely in sin, but that a sense of this corruption should make believers often to sigh, desiring to be delivered from this body of death. Wherefore, we reject the error of the Pelagians, who assert that sin proceeds only from imitation. It's Article 15 of the Belgic Confession of Faith on the Doctrine of Original Sin. On the 11th of May, 2000, the year 2000, wow, that's over two decades ago. That's making me feel old. A lady found a new email on her computer. And the email simply said, I love you. Curious, it looked innocent enough, perhaps even romantic. She was intrigued. She clicked on the email, like most of us would. She clicked to open the message in the so-called love bug. Was born with lightning speed. It raced around the world, bringing politics and business to a halt. It was a deadly computer virus that caused millions of computer software programs to crash. One virus, so much contamination. But it's not the first time that a single virus has caused so much grief to mankind. This virus is really only a small replay of a much deadlier virus that hit planet Earth more than 6,000 years ago. The virus of sin which has infected us all because of the fall of our first parents. And it didn't come in an email that said, I love you. It's sin. So that's what we're talking about to now, tonight. The original virus. Our theme tonight is God owes us nothing. Everything. Is a gift. God owes us nothing. Everything is a gift. We have four points tonight. What is original sin? Point one. Point two. The consequences. Of original sin. Point three is. What about believers? And point four is 
Just say no to Pelagians. Let's start with point number one. What is original sin? In Jeremiah chapter 13, when he's confronting the people of Israel, particularly looking here at verse 23, Israel is asking the question, why is this judgment coming upon us? When they see those who are coming from the north down to attack Israel, to attack Judah, will they say to the Lord, why has this happened to me? The answer that comes from the prophet is this, it's because of your many sins. But he doesn't stop there. He doesn't say, you've done things that are wrong. Jeremiah poses a question. He says, can the Ethiopian change his skin? Or the leopard, its spots? Neither can you do good who are accustomed to doing evil. When it says, can the Ethiopian change his skin or can the leopard change its spots, what it's talking about is nature. Leopards are born with spots. That's the way they're made. Ethiopians are darker complected. That's how they are. You can't fault them for the way that they were created. That's the way they are. And so Jeremiah says, neither can you do good who are accustomed to doing evil. It talks about, it's going to the root of our changed nature. And that's what original sin is. That our first parents were created upright, able to do good, able to obey God perfectly. But we are not our first parents. They fell into sin, and we have experienced the results of their choices as our representatives. Article 15 of the Belgian Confession of Faith says, We believe that through the disobedience of Adam, original sin is extended to all mankind. So... Its cause is the fall of Adam. The choice Adam and Eve made in the garden to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is the cause of our condition in original sin. What is original sin exactly? How are we to explain it? How are we to understand it? Well, if it's the same way that an Ethiopian can't change its skin or a leopard can't change its spots, then what it's talking about here is that our whole nature 
has been corrupted. This is exactly what Article 15 says. It's a corruption of the whole nature. But it doesn't stop there. It says that it's a hereditary disease. Now there's mystery entailed in how the original sin from Adam is passed on to every generation. But we're given a clue when we read in Genesis that Adam had a son in his image. And just like God created Adam in his image, upright, holy, able to do what was right and good, right? Pure. Adam created a son in his image after the fall. And so there's a perpetuation of this original sin given down through hereditary means. Wherewith even infants in their mother's womb are infected, and which produces in man all sorts of sin. And so, what we say about original sin is that everyone is infected with this love bug, if you want to call it that, and even to infants. And so there is no human being born into this world who is guiltless. Does that make sense? It's important for us to understand this because when you look at that small little child all bundled up, there is a sense of innocence about them. But because of what Adam did, every child born into this world has inherited his guilt, the guilt of original sin. What are the consequences of this? Ephesians chapter 2. The first three verses. Paul tells the church in Ephesus, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Dead. In which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work, and those who are disobedient. Following after uh, the ways of Satan. All of us, and so Paul is saying here, not just you Christians in Ephesus, all of us. It's an all-inclusive Inclusive category. So you Christians in Ephesus and all of us, humanity. 
also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature. Gratifying the cravings of the flesh. And following its desires and thoughts. This is the consequences of original sin. I said this morning in my sermon... We sin because we're sinners. We're not sinners because we sin. That is a very important understanding to have in place when it comes to original sin, when it comes to the corruption of human nature. A Belgian confession of faith says that the original sin produces in man all sorts of sin. Like the cravings of the flesh, desires and thoughts that we pursue after that. Following after the ways of Satan. Being by nature objects of wrath. By nature. And the way that the Belgian Confession of Faith describes this original sin is as a root or a root, however you decide to say it. And therefore is so vile and abominable in the sight of God that it is sufficient to condemn all mankind. And so, this root of original sin brings condemnation by itself. It makes every single human being, no matter the age, no matter the... Uh, Position, no matter what, condemnation. They are worthy of condemnation because of this root. Root means a source, where it comes from. And it makes a clarification here that's important because it's related to the history of the Belgic Confession and the place and time in which it was written. This root of original sin, which we have inherited from our first father, Adam, and cast, passed down through every generation, which makes us guilty even in infancy. And it is the reason that we grow up to sin, because we are born sinners. Our nature distorted in upon itself, turned away from its original intent to glorify God, and rather towards ourselves, gratifying the cravings of the flesh, going after its desires and thoughts, pursuing the ways of Satan, being dead in transgressions and trespasses. It is not altogether abolished or wholly eradicated even by baptism. Since sin always issues forth from this woeful source as water from a fountain. So not only a root, but a fountain. And the reason why the Belgian Confession of Faith 
says this is because the Catholic Church has a doctrine concerning original sin. And the reason that they practice uh, infant baptism is to wash away this original guilt and to get rid of it. And I don't know if any of you have ever worked in a hospital, but oftentimes if a baby is born and it's about to die, there's a lot of concern about whether this baby can, is there time for it to be baptized so its original sin can be washed away. And when we perform baptism on our children, our infants, it's not to wash away the mark of original sin. It's to place on them the mark of a covenant and the promise that if they believe in Jesus Christ, they will be saved from their sins. And baptism does not wash away this mark of original sin. Sin always issues forth from this woeful source as water from a fountain. And this is why Paul says that before Christ, we are by nature objects of wrath. But then what about believers? How does original sin work together with believers who are called new creatures, new creations in the Word? Who have in some sense been Washed, cleansed, right? The way that the Belgic Confession of Faith describes this is the imputation is taken away. Notwithstanding, it is not imputed to the children of God unto condemnation. And so when Paul says in Romans chapter 8, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, that includes the stain of original sin. Now, the stain of original sin has not been taken away because... The way original sin is described often in the New Testament, particularly in Paul's writings, is the flesh. And the NIV often translates this as sinful nature. So the believer now has two natures in a sense. We have a sinful nature and we have a renewed nature. And these two natures are at war against each other. So Paul goes on. This is our state before Christ, verse 4. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. See, here is where we need to understand these two natures that are going on, right? Uh, We are made alive 
even though we're dead. We're standing right here. You ever gone to a, a mall and you look at the map and it says you're here, right? But Paul says we're in heavenly places. Seated with Christ in heavenly places. How can we be in two places at once? Because we are united to Christ. How can we have a sinful nature and a renewed nature? How can we be alive and dead? It's because the stain of original sin and the condemnation that comes from that is no longer imputed to us. We're no longer credited that. But instead, we're credited the righteousness of Christ. We still have that original sin. We still battle against it as the flesh is dwelt within us. And, 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 and we, we, we battle the flesh. We put the death of flesh. And the, the New Testament speaks of the, uh, the object of mortification, putting to death the flesh. And vivification, the new life. So the, so the Belgian Confession says, notwithstanding this stain of original sin is not imputed to the children of God unto condemnation, but by His grace and mercy is forgiven them. We are forgiven this mark of original sin, as well as the actual sins that we commit. That's what Christ accomplished for us. It's not something that we mustered up in our own strength to do. It's not something that we worked up the courage to do. It's not something that we were intelligent enough to figure out so that we could put the pieces of the puzzle together and believe and other people just aren't, aren't uh, smart enough to figure it out like we have. It's not simply that we have the, these privileges. It's, it's not like we're choice meat. And we're the ones that decided to believe in God and be forgiven of our original sin and the, the sins that we actually commit. That's why our theme tonight is God owes us nothing. Everything is a gift. Paul, speaking to the church in Corinth, said, of anything that you've received, all things are a gift. You're not owed anything that you have. Everything is a gift. And that's why here in Ephesians chapter 2 says, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace you have been saved. There's a word that could summarize the statement, God owes us nothing, everything is a gift, it is the word grace. In fact, one of the songs that we sang this morning in church, which is a classic and I really enjoy it, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, has a line in it that says, O to grace, how great a debtor, daily I am constrained to be. Well, the truth is you can't be in debt to grace because grace is receiving something you don't deserve. It's a gift. Now I understand that 
the meaning, oh, to grace how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be, is this idea that because God has saved me in my thankfulness and gratitude, I desire to live a life that pleases him. But two words that don't go together are grace and debt. When someone offers you a monetary gift, there's nothing more insulting that you can do than to say, oh, I'll pay it back. I'll pay it back. Because the moment you've paid it back, it's no longer a gift. And in our condition as human beings, all of humanity, fallen in sin, so corrupted to our very core, our very root, and all the sin that comes from us is as if a fountain pouring out from this corrupted nature that we have no one to blame for but ourselves because Adam and Eve in the garden are our perfect representatives. We could not have done any better. And so to hear the words, by grace you have been saved, to hear the words, God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved. Through faith, this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. So here's this reality. We have been redeemed by Jesus Christ. And the Bible does call us a new creation. We have the inward and the outward. We have two natures battling in our bodies, sinful nature and our renewed nature. How are we supposed to live? The Belgian Confession of Faith Tells us we have been forgiven of the imputed original sin from our first parents. We do not have condemnation because of it. By his grace and mercy, God has forgiven them. But, the Belgian Confession of Faith says, not that they should rest securely in sin, but that a sense of this corruption should make believers often to sigh. Desiring to be delivered from this body of death. One of the reasons why in our salvation God does not completely eradicate this sinful nature from us is that because the battle of us desiring to live godly lives, us desiring to grow in holiness and righteousness, us desiring to be more conformed to the image of Christ as we continue to struggle against the flesh, as we continue to stumble and to fall, is that we would remain dependent upon God. And realize that this is something we cannot do in our own strength. That we would always be alert, unaware to the schemes of the devil and the world and the flesh that's in us. Trying to get us to stumble and to fall. To believe this lie. To go after this thing that will satisfy us. And we must continuously go back to God and ask for His grace. Ask for His power. 
Go to his word. Find the truth there. We must continually ask God that he would help us to abide in Christ. Remain in him. Be dependent upon him for our Christian living. And to put the old nature to death. So that one day, when the resurrection comes, and that old nature is finally stripped from us entirely, one day when we die and we're separated from our sinful bodies, and we no longer have that struggle and that wrestle, we will be praising God that we are now free to worship Him wholly and entirely. And that we would know deeply and inherently that what we were experiencing in that moment as a most wonderful and glorious expression of praise to God is nothing but a gift and something we don't deserve. It's by the grace of God. Lastly, we have this final tertiary point, the rejection of errors. Say no to Pelagians. Pelagius was a monk at the time that Augustine was minister of the gospel in the 4th century. And he had a, a view upon sin that was an error, one that was condemned by an early church council. And we believe, too, also, that Pelagian's teaching was heresy. And we reject it. And his conviction was that sin proceeded from imitation. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes I can catch myself slipping into a latent Pelagianism when I'm dealing with my children. You know, my little daughter, Ellie Mae, she'll do something, and I'll look at Alma and I'll say, well, where did she learn that from? Or my daughter Alma will start running, running around the house doing something and I'll look at my sons and I'll say, well, I wonder where she learned that from. But Pelagius' conviction is that we aren't by nature sinful. But simply that we see someone sinning and we copy them. Now, to be honest with you, I don't even think that really answers the question because if I see somebody sinning and copy them and I see somebody sinning and copying them all the way down through history, then at some point it has to go back to somebody who was sinning. Well, what are you going to do with that, Pelagius? Pelagius. 
Nonetheless, he believed that there could be people who lived who would choose not to imitate and who would be without sin. Now, they may be rare, but they would exist. Well, that's a heresy. It's a heresy because it goes right after the core of why Christ came for us in the first place. If we could do it on our own, if we had the freedom to choose whether or not we were going to sin or not, we have the ability to save ourselves. And if we only sin by imitation, then all we need is a righteous person without sin to copy. And therefore, Christ coming and dying on the cross was only for us an example. But Christ was much more than an example. He did not live a life and die on the cross simply to show us how to live as righteous human beings. He lived a life and died on the cross to save us from our sins. Both original and actual. If you're a Pelagian, you don't believe this statement. God owes us nothing. Everything is a gift. If you're a Pelagian, you don't have a category for grace. But the doctrine of original sin, which is proven for us by the scriptures themselves, tells us the truth that God owes us nothing. Everything is a gift. That the virus that we have called sin is much more than a virus. It's actually something that's made us dead. People who have a virus can go and get a vaccine. Dead people have to be brought back to life. And that's what salvation is. It's not simply a curing of a virus that's made us ill. It's a resurrection of life into dead people. And that's why God owes us nothing. And everything is a gift. Amen. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. May we know, Lord, the salvation we've received from you is a gift. It's not from ourselves. It's not by works so that no one can boast. You've saved us, Lord, from the corruption of our human nature. You do not hold that corruption against us nor condemn us for it. But in Christ, 
you have brought us salvation. We know, Lord, that we still struggle against the flesh. We pray that you, Heavenly Father, would help us not to rest securely in sin, but by a sense of this corruption in us, make us often sigh, strongly desire to be delivered from this body of death. We look forward to the day, Lord, when we struggle no longer against the flesh. We are purified and cleansed. And we can worship you perfectly without restraint or restriction. We will no longer have any interruption of our great fellowship with you. We know that you who have begun a good work in us will see it to completion. And we look forward to that day. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for everything you've given to us, which is all a gift. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.